Good evening, everyone. Oh, that was really weak. Good evening, everyone. There we go. Uh, my name is Aaron Jones. I'm the Worship Arts Director at Clinton Township, and Jalen invited me out. Um, thank you. Um, and I actually just wrote a song about three weeks ago, and I shared it, I think, about a week ago at 20 Front Street. Um, and Jalen asked if I could share it tonight. And I just wanted to talk just uh, maybe 30 seconds before uh, I sing it. Um, this song was just out of a conviction of where my heart was and where God has shifted my heart to be. Um, and there's a scripture in Matthew 25 where God is talking about the parable of the sheeps and the goats. And he's talking about how when he was a stranger, you didn't welcome him in. And when he was thirsty, you didn't give him anything to drink. And when he was hungry, you didn't give him anything to eat. Um, and he's just essentially talking about how he's going to separate those who are welcome into the kingdom and those who are not going to be. And I thought... If I'm not willing to risk everything and to go to the farthest extent to give that to the least of these, then what's the point of being here? What's the point of me being on stage? What's the point of me worshiping? If I'm not willing to lay down my life and risk it all, then what's the point? And so this song just says, let love guide. I mean, the chorus just is just a prayer of where I want my heart to be. It says, I want to fly past my self-serving ego, soar through the sky to see the ones in need, chase after your heart, God, because you're the one I'll follow. I'll land on your word and let love guide the way. to find the ones that need you stand up tall and fight for the weekend I want to hear you say well done I'll boldly step into the darkest corner I'll shine a light that far exceeds my words Live a life that's more than just pleasing. I want to hear you say, well done. I want to hear you say, well done. Because yeah. I want to fly past myself, serving ego. Soar through the sky to see the ones in need. Chase after your heart, God, because you're the one I'll follow. I'll land on your word and let love guide the way. I'm going to let love guide the way. I'm going to let love guide the way. A love that saturates my neighbor. Serve them until they meet your wonder. Promote their dreams because it's the one that matters. I want to hear you say, well done. I want to hear you say, well done. 
Cause I wanna fly past myself Serving ego Soar through the sky To see the ones in need Just after your heart, God Cause you're the one I'll follow I'll land on your word And let love guide the way I'm gonna let love guide the way Stronger than these words, and let my heart only want to serve. When it comes to you, your love exceeds it all. You gave me that command, and I will obey. So let my life be stronger than these words, and let my heart. Only want to serve when it comes to you. Your love exceeds it all. You gave me that command and I will obey. You gave me that command and I will obey. You gave me that command and I will obey. Cause I want to fly past myself. Serving ego, I saw through the sky to see the ones in need. Chase after your heart, God, cause you're the one I'll follow. I'll land on your word and let love guide the way. I wanna fly past myself, serving ego.
next song is a new one and I just want to introduce the uh, chorus to you all. I want to sing this one out. It's real simple. It goes like this. It says, when my mind says I'm not good enough, God, you're enough for me. I've decided
Isn't God good? Awesome. Well, all right, I just want to welcome everybody here. How's everyone doing tonight? The energy feels great in here, right? Well, before we move on with the service, I want you guys to take a minute and greet someone next to you. Cool? All right, there we go. You guys having a good week so far? It sounds like it. It definitely sounds like it. It's amazing to be here tonight. If we haven't met, my name is Andrew Kim, and I am the teaching pastor here at Troy. Thanks so much, everyone. Appreciate it. It's been an amazing privilege to be here for the past two months, and you guys have been so incredibly kind. So many people have come up to myself or my wife and said, how are you guys adjusting? Because we moved here from Philadelphia in early January, and I cannot tell you how thankful I am to be able to see grass. And so, yeah, I'm sure a lot of you guys are as well. Awesome to see grass in February. It's amazing that it's like 50 degrees out there. But right now here at Midweek, if you've been with us since really the beginning of the year, we've been journeying through this incredible book in the Bible that's called Philippians. And this book that we call Philippians in the scriptures was originally a letter that was written by this man named Paul to a bunch of Christians in the ancient Greek city of Philippi way back in the first century AD. And last week, if you were at Orion, and just actually by a quick show of hands, how many of you were there for midweek last Wednesday? So a lot of you. So you guys were there. And so you know what Dave Wilson did, our, one of our co-founders and our lead pastor at Orion. He walked through one of the most incredible passages in all the scriptures. And what Paul talks about in the passage that Dave looked at last week was that he tells us what Jesus did for us. In that he left the confines, he left the glory of heaven, and he humbled himself, and he became like you and me. And then he died a criminal's death on the cross. And this death wasn't just for any criminals, but being nailed to a cross and crucified was only reserved for the worst of criminals. And then what God did was something so extraordinary. And I wanted to read verses 9 to 11 tonight. And this is what he says. This is what Paul writes. He says, Therefore God exalted Jesus, that after he died, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee, not just those who are his followers, but every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Powerful, powerful words. And so tonight, what we're going to be doing is we're going to continue on in this series in Philippians by looking at the next seven verses. And in these seven verses that we're going to be looking at tonight, Paul tells us that in light of what Jesus did for us, if you are his follower, he says, this is how you are to live. And so we're going to read this passage today. Let me read it for us. And our passage tonight goes from verse 12 to verse 18 in Philippians chapter 2. And Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And in those last two verses that we read, verses 17 and 18, Paul talks about being poured out like a drink offering. And what he was talking about was that he believed that he was soon going to die. And the reason why he thought he was going to die was that when he wrote this letter that we call Philippians, he was in prison in Rome. And the Roman emperor at the time was this crazy man named Nero, who had imprisoned, who had tortured, who had also killed so many Christians. And so Paul, understanding this, he knew that as a follower of Jesus and being in a Roman prison, his days were probably numbered. But what you see here and what you see all throughout this letter is that Paul was still able to have this amazing joy. Even though he was in one of the most difficult situations, he still had joy. And one of the reasons why he had joy was because of these Philippian Christians, because of what they were doing. Because these Philippian Christians were the ones that Paul had introduced Jesus to. He was also the one that had invested so much into them. And when he was with them, they had followed Jesus passionately, desperately. But what he also says at the very beginning of verse 12, as we'll read in a moment, is that after he left, they continued to do so. And Paul writes, therefore, at the very beginning of verse 12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, as you've always obeyed, as you've always followed Jesus, not only in my presence when I was with you, but now much more in my absence. And you hear Paul's words and you hear how proud he was of them. They were following Jesus. They had followed Jesus, not only when he was there encouraging them and loving them and teaching them, but also now, much more actually now after he had left, which was an incredible, incredible thing. And as I mentioned, brought Paul so much joy, even in this difficult situation that he was in. And then in the second half of verse 12, Paul tells them to do something interesting. Now he writes this, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Interesting words, because when you read that for the first time, it seems like what Paul is saying is that it seems like he's saying to us, you have to work for your salvation. You have to earn it. You have to do something to not only maybe attain it, but maybe also to keep it. And if that's what he's saying, it would contradict all of what he talks about in his other letters. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, what Paul says is, he says, this is how you are saved. This is how you receive the gift of salvation. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's not anything you've done, but rather it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast or brag or have any pride. And what Paul says here is what we as Jesus followers believe. That how you enter into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus is it's by grace through faith. Those two components. And what grace is, is grace is a free gift of God. And the gift that God gave us was Jesus Christ, his son. And that more than 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to this earth. And Jesus was then ultimately tried, tortured, and killed for your sins and for mine on a cross. 
But then three days later, God raised him from the dead so that whoever chose to put their faith in him, to trust him and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you as my Lord and Savior could experience not just any life, but they would experience a life that's more extraordinary than they could ever understand or imagine. This is what the scriptures tell us, that salvation comes by grace, this free gift of God that came through Jesus through faith. When we make that decision to say, Jesus, I will follow you. It's nothing that we do. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. We don't do any of that. And so if that's the case, what in the world is Paul talking about? When he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, what does that mean? And notice Paul doesn't say, work for your salvation. What he tells us to do is that he says, work out your salvation. Or another way to say it is that he's saying, live out your salvation, live out your faith. Now that you're a Jesus follower, and now now that everything about you has changed, your value system, your belief, your perspective, your attitude, your worldview, now that that has all changed, display that to the world through your words, through your actions, through your decisions, through your life. Work out your salvation, he says, with fear and trembling, with awe and respect, understanding that God continues to work in you. And he says that if you do this, this is a powerful image that Paul gives us, that if you do this, if you work out your salvation in this way, then in a warped and crooked generation, that you will shine like stars in the sky. And this is the image that Paul is giving us. Because when you look up at the night, at the night sky, the majority of the sky is dark, right? That's why we call it night, right? I think we can all agree on that. And so it's dark. And the image that Paul gives us is the, the night sky, the darkness that's in the night sky, that represents the warped and crooked generation. A generation that is deviated from God's best. But when we as his followers, when we live in the way that he's created us to live, when we work out our salvation, he says that in this crooked and warped generation, we shine like stars in the sky. That in the darkness, we reflect Jesus's light, that Jesus who lives in us. It is such a powerful image that he gives us. When we do this, we shine like stars in the night sky. And so he tells us, what I want you to do, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he tells us three ways in the rest of the passage that we can do so. The first way that he tells us to do this is that he tells us, I want you to hold on. Hold on to God. Because when you hold on to God, God will give you everything that you need to live out this life. Because this is what Paul's talk says in verse 13. He says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So this is what he's saying. God gives you two things to work out your salvation. He will give you the will, meaning the desire, and he will give you the act, meaning the energy to be able to work out, to be able to live out your salvation. And by saying this, what Paul was saying is that there is no way that we can do this on our own. We don't have it within us to live in this way. And we need God's help. We have to hold on to him. We have to cling on to him. And when we do, he will give us both the desire and the energy to live in this way. 
And a number of years ago, my wife and I, we, we lived in Minneapolis, much colder than here, by the way. But we lived in Minneapolis for a couple of years. And when we lived there, I came across a story. I heard of a story of a woman named Mary Johnson who lived in Minneapolis. And her story caught my attention because I had never, I've still never heard of a story like this before, this powerful of a story. And what happened to Mary was that way back in 1993, her only son, who was 20 years old at the time, was shot and killed at a party. And the boy who killed her son was a boy by the name of Oshe, was a, a guy by the name of Oshea Israel, or Israel Oshea, yep, Oshea Israel. That's what his name was, just to get his name right. That was what his name was. And Oshea was 16 years old at the time. And the police ultimately caught him, and he went on trial, and he was convicted of second-degree murder, and he was sentenced to 25 years in prison. And imagine having your only child shot and killed at the young age of 20 years old, having to bury your only son. And so at the sentencing, Mary was there, and she had an opportunity to stand up, and she said, she looked at O'Shea and said to him, I forgive you. But in her heart, she knew that she didn't forgive him because what her attitude was on that day was that she wanted him to be caged and locked up like the animal that she thought she was. And so the trial wrapped up, and she went back to living her life, or at least tried to, and to come to a place of normalcy. She tried to find a place of normalcy in her life yet again. But it wasn't until nine years later that God did something extraordinary in her life. Because nine years later, what happened was that her pastor came to her and asked if she would teach a class on forgiveness. And as she was reading and as she was studying the book that she was supposed to teach, God asked her to do something. And that God told her, what I want you to do, Mary, is I want you to pray for O'Shea. I want you to pray for him every single day, just like you pray for yourself. And so she did. She prayed for him every single day. And as she did, her heart towards him began to change. So much so that she actually requested a meeting with him. And eventually he accepted. And when the day came, she went to the prison where he was. And she found herself sitting across a table from the now man who had killed her only son so many years ago. And when she saw him for the first time, the very first thing that she said to him was, Look, I told you in court that I forgave you. But today, from the bottom of my heart, I want you to know that I forgive you. And O'Shea's response to her was, ma'am, how can you do that? Because even after all of those years, what he expected from her was anger and hatred, not forgiveness and mercy. And she responded by telling him, I'm only able to do this because of who lives in me. And on that day, O'Shea and Mary began an incredible friendship, a friendship that grew over the coming years. And when O'Shea was finally released from prison many years later, what Mary did was that she went to her landlord, vouched for O'Shea, and he moved in literally next door to her. And now they're like mother and son. And you're going to see a picture of them. They literally live next door to each other in Minneapolis. Never ever have I heard of a story like this. It's a powerful story of forgiveness and reconciliation. But it also reminds me of what Paul is talking about here. That when we hold on to God, that he will give us 
both the desire as well as the power to live in the way that he has called us to as his followers, to work out our salvation. Because there is no way, zero chance, that Mary could have done this herself. God gave her the desire and the energy to do this, to live out her faith. But at the same time, what it also reminded me of was that because God is the one who gives us these things, that if we're struggling in an area of our life to actually do this, to work out our faith, to live out our faith, what that means is that we can ask God for help. And we can ask God, God, would you please give me both the desire as well as the energy to live in the way that you have called me to live as your follower in this area of my life. And maybe for you, you might be struggling to love a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, somebody at school, because they just get on your nerves. And you have such a hard time loving them. It might be somebody in your life that you have such a difficult time forgiving. Or maybe it's at work or school where you just have a difficult, really struggling to choose integrity. But whatever area it is in your life that you are struggling to live in the way that God has called you to live as his follower, the extraordinary thing is, is that because God is the source, because God is the giver of both the desire as well as the energy to work out our salvation, that we can say to God, God, would you please help me? And he will. So we have to hold on to God. But in addition to holding on, something else that Paul tells us to do is that he tells us to hold in and to hold something in that's very, very specific. Because this is what he says. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Another way that you can understand that is what he's saying is do everything without complaining. And he's saying, hold in your complaint. Don't let it out. But rather, he's just basically saying, don't complain. Stop complaining if that's what you're doing. And one of the major reasons why I believe that Paul was telling us not to complain was that when we complain, we foster, we promote an attitude that's the total opposite of what he just talked about in the previous passage that Dave looked at last week. Because the central point of verses 5 to 11 is that Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of, his, of the world, he renounced his rights. He became nothing. And the Son of God came to, not to be served, but rather to serve. And in doing all of this, Jesus never complained. He never said, I deserve better. But so often, the reason why so many of us, including myself, the reason why we complain is because we think we deserve better. And we're not getting better. Or we believe that we have certain rights to certain things, and those rights aren't being fulfilled. We're not receiving those things. And so we complain. Complete opposite attitude of Jesus. And not to mention, probably every single one of us have been around people who have a tendency to complain. And when that type of person enters into a room, what do they do? They don't ever elevate the room but they have a tendency to deflate it because they have an incredible ability to sap the energy and the joy from people. And when you think about, hey, when Paul says, work out your faith, live out the way that God has called you to live as his followers, complaining, not exactly at the top of the list. Doesn't even make the list. So Paul says, don't complain, just don't do it. But what are you supposed to do? That's the big question then. If Paul says, don't complain, then how are you supposed to do this? Because it's really hard to not complain if you're actually doing it. And I actually read a lot of studies this past week about complaining. 
And a number of the studies said, for the average human being, we complain on average about 30 times a day, if you can believe that. That's a lot. And so to stop doing that, just all of a sudden, not exactly an easy thing to do. And I remember a couple of years ago, I was in this season where I was just really discontent. Things just were not going well in my life. And so I was going through a season of complaining, and I would complain a lot. And the people around me noticed. And somebody actually came up to me and said, Andrew, what we're noticing is that you're really starting to complain a lot. And they called me out on it. And so one of the things that they suggested that I do is to practice a discipline. And trust me, it is a discipline called gratitude. And they actually referred me to this book that was written by a woman named Ann Voskamp called 1,000 Gifts. Anyone read that book before? Okay, some of you have. And in this book, what Ann Voskamp talks about is she talks about the fact that one of the things that she did to practice this discipline of gratitude is that she made a list, not in one day, but over a period of time, she made a list of 1,000 things that she was thankful for. It's a pretty credible list. And these things were just everyday things that brought her joy. Like I remember one of the things was just jam piled high on a piece of toast. That brought her joy. Wouldn't bring me joy, but that's okay. It brought her a lot of joy. Great. Was on her list. And so I tried this for two weeks, two weeks, and I didn't get to a thousand, but my list was pretty long in that every single day, all throughout the day, if I saw something and I was trying to be intentional about being thankful, that if I saw something that I was thankful for, that if I just said, if there was anything in my life that I was thankful for, I would just pick up my phone and I would just write it in. And it changed my attitude, not only writing that down, but also looking back at my list every single day throughout the day, and especially at night, looking back at my list and looking at all the incredible things that God had given me, all the incredible people that God had given me an opportunity to interact with, have conversations with all the opportunities in my life. And what this did for me was that I went from having this mindset of, oh, I have to, to, oh, I get to. I went from asking, why don't I have, to saying, thank you, God, that I do. And I went from having my eyes pointing inward for so much of the time to now looking outward. It's when we practice this discipline of gratitude that we're able to curb complaining. And so this is what Paul tells us to do. Don't complain. Stop complaining. And a great way that we can do this is to practice a discipline called gratitude. And so honestly, if you're, if you're looking at your life and you're, maybe you're going through just a really, really tough season where every single day, multiple times a day, you're tempted to complain. One of the things I'd encourage you to do is try doing exactly this. For maybe the next week, the next two weeks, maybe the next month, maybe until you get to a thousand, try try compiling a list of a thousand things or how many, regardless of, I don't know how many you want to go to, but try compiling a list every single day, maybe for a period of time of all the things that you're thankful for. And I can promise you that if you do this for a week, two weeks, or if you want to hit a number, that's great too that it will change your perspective. It'll radically change your attitude and that you will go from having this attitude of complaint to having an attitude of gratitude and thankfulness. And so Paul tells us to do two things. If you want to work out your salvation, he says, hold on to God because God is the one who will give us desire and energy. But at the same time, secondly, he says, hold in. Hold in complaint. Don't 
complain. But before we get to the third one, I actually want to invite our ushers forward to receive the offering tonight. And so, ushers, if you want to come forward, and if you are a first-time guest with us here tonight, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for choosing to be here. We are absolutely thrilled that you chose to be here with us tonight. But please do not feel any obligation to give because this does not have to be your moment. Instead, what we'd love for you to do is to have a conversation, to go outside into the lobby and have a conversation with somebody at our starting point table. And you'll see them. They have bright orange shirts that have starting point right across the front. And we'd love for you to talk to them as to how you can get connected into our community. And so Paul says, he says two things, as I mentioned. He says, hold on to God. Hold in complaint. But he also says, hold out the word of life. And this one was one that really, really convicted me this past week. And depending upon what the translation is, and if you have the scriptures open, in verse 16, this is where he says it. And in one particular translation, which is the New International Version, it talks about holding firmly to the word of life. And so some people say, you know what, it's holding firmly to the word of life. For other people, they say it's holding out the word of life. But it's really splitting hairs because if you hold firmly to the word of life, it means that you're going to hold it out. And so I think the better translation is to understand that it's holding out the word of life. And what the word of life is, is that it's the gospel. It's this good news of Jesus Christ. And when Paul tells us, I want you to hold out the word of life, he's saying, I want you to communicate Jesus to the people around you. But so oftentimes... For myself and so many people that I've had a conversation with, when we talk about what's the best way to communicate Jesus to the people around us, people always say, hey, you know what? I believe the best way, the way that I try to do it is through my actions, through acts of generosity, compassion, kindness, justice, and love. And don't get me wrong. I think that's such an important way. These are such important ways for us to communicate Jesus to the people around us every single day. But not too many people say, hey, you know what? I try to communicate Jesus also with my words. Not too many people in our culture today, in our country. And I'm in that boat as well. And one of the reasons why I primarily lean towards actions as opposed to words is that I have been trained to think, and sometimes it's not only through communicating the messages that have been communicated to me, but also through experiences that what I believe is that if I try to have a conversation, if I try to tell somebody about Jesus with my words, at the very best, they're going to be uninterested. And at the very worst, I'm going to deeply offend them, anger them, and they're just going to be, and they're just going to storm off and ultimately I'll have moved them further away from Jesus. And so that is what I have believed for so many years. But about a year ago, my thinking on that topic completely changed when I went to a conference. And this conference was in Chicago. And I went to one session where this one guy, was he presented a study that had been done by this organization called Lifeway Research. And it, had done, and it was just recently done in the past one or two, in the past two years. And what Lifeway found was that they had a conversation with more than 2,000 unchurched people. And what they found was, and unchurched was, was someone, how they defined it was someone who hasn't been to a worship service in the past six months at least. And what they found was out of all of these unchurched people, which was really indicative of how unchurched people feel in this, in our country and in our culture, they found that almost eight 
out of 10 unchurched Americans would welcome a conversation about faith, that they have no problem talking about Jesus. They have no problem talking about matters of faith. They have no problem talking about Christianity. And that completely blew my mind because I thought it was the opposite for so many years. I thought, you know what? If I try to have a conversation with you, you're just going to shut me down and we're not going to get anywhere. But what this study has shown is that it's shown that almost 80% of people in this country would welcome that conversation. What this study also found was that 51% of unchurched Americans, if someone, if a family member or a friend invited them to come to church with them, it would be effective in getting them to visit a church more than half. And this was also a really, really sad statistic to me because this study also found that almost two-thirds of unchurched Americans said that nobody had ever sat down in their life. No one had ever sat down with them and told them about the benefits of being a follower of Jesus. Almost two-thirds of unchurched Americans. And that, to me, was so incredibly sad. And so what this means is that the narrative that so many of us have believed, including myself, that you know what? That nobody wants to hear about Jesus. That we shouldn't talk about Jesus in our culture because it's completely ineffective. Couldn't be more untrue. Those are incredible statistics. And after this study came out, Scott McConnell, who's the executive director of LifeWay Research, said this. He said, unchurched folks are being underwhelmed by Christians talking about their faith. If faith is important to you, then your friends will be interested in hearing about it. That's what the study says. And so how can we hold out the word of life? How can we communicate Jesus to the people around us? Absolutely. We should do it with our actions. But what this also tells us is that it's so important to also speak it out with our words. And a number of years ago, or actually last year, so last year after I came back from this conference, one of the things that I tried to do was to do exactly this was to try to reprogram my mind, understanding that this was true. And one of the people that I actually tried to do this with, and I thought about who should I, who can I have a conversation with Jesus about? And the first person that came to mind was the woman who cuts this incredible work of art that I call my hair. (laughs) And so I had been going, and this is when I was living out in the Philadelphia area, and I had been going to this woman for about a year. And she was a little bit rough around the edges, but great woman. And we have conversations. We had had conversations about almost every single topic, like economics, uh, foreign policy, uh, politics. We had talked about all these different things. But Jesus never, never talked about Jesus. So I thought to myself, you know what? If this is true, I'm actually going to put it into practice. And so the next haircut came, and I said, I have to bring this up. And I was scared to death, and I thought, and I had a plan in my mind, and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to do it towards the end of the haircut because I don't want her to mess it up. Right? Just in case she gets angry, I don't want that. And so a perfect opportunity came, and that we had talked about, we started with small talk, then we got to something a little bit deeper, and then there was a lull. And so I was coming towards the end of my haircut, and so I asked her, hey, what do you think about faith? What's your topic on Jesus? And she said something to me that I was so surprised. I never thought that she would say this. And that she told me, you know what I do every single day? I read a devotional by this guy named Dr. David Jeremiah, who's a pastor. And I read the Bible and then I, I pray every single day. 
And she said, you know what? I love Jesus, but I will never, ever go to church again. I'll never, ever step into a church because every single time I've stepped into a church, I always feel judged. I always feel like I have to fit into this certain box. I have to think a certain way. I have to look a certain way. I have to act a certain way. Never going to church again. And then I also, in subsequent conversations, I also asked her, what, what, did, your, what did your husband think? And he had even a worse perspective of church and of Jesus. And so I said to her one day, understanding that there was probably very little chance that she would come and her husband would come, I just asked her, would you come to my church? And I'd love for you to come. I'll introduce you to the people and I think it'll be a great experience for you. Understanding that statistic of 51%, people said that they would, probably, they would be willing to come if a family member or a friend invited them. And you know what? She came. Her husband came one Sunday. I introduced her to people and we were sitting in the service and I was sort of looking at them, had no idea what was going on in the service. And I was looking at them out of the corner of my thinking, I wonder how, what they're thinking. I wonder what they're feeling. I wonder how they're taking this all in. And they just had, she just had this, this look on her face, which is blank look. And so did he. And afterwards they left and they said, Hey, we have some other obligation. And so we got to go. And so they went. And so I was thinking, oh, I don't think this went very well. I think this may have even, just maybe I shouldn't have even asked them. And then the next day, I got a call from her husband. And he said to me, he left a message, and he said, that was one of the most powerful experiences that I've ever had in my life. And would you be willing, do you have some time this week or next week to have a conversation about Jesus? It's incredible. Yeah. And ultimately, what I want to say is that when it comes to sharing Jesus with words, I am probably one of the biggest cowards there is because I am so scared of being rejected. Absolutely. Thank you. You can clap for that. Appreciate that. Really raising my self-esteem today. Thank you very much. It's been a good week, but until that happened in my life. (laughs) But nevertheless, that's sort of, and I've always deferred to saying, hey, you know what? It's through action. It's action. It's action. And I don't want to go to words because I'm just going to get rejected and I don't want that to happen. But as I've taken these small steps out, I've seen extraordinary things happen. And that's not just something that I can do. It's something that every single one of us here can do. And many of you are doing it. And I want to encourage you to take those steps. And for those of you who aren't, to take that first step to having that conversation, continue to communicate Jesus through our actions, but also continue to speak the words out and to tell people about who Jesus is through our words as well. And in order to do this, we need to have courage. And we're going to sing a song right now that tells us that we can take courage. And the reason why we can have courage as Jesus followers is because, not because we're good enough and we have it within ourselves, but rather because the God of the universe, the author and giver of life is with us and is giving us everything that we need to do what he has called us to do, which is to work out our salvation. So let's bow our heads and actually let's all stand up. And let's pray, and then let's sing together. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your son more than 2,000 years ago to die on the cross for us. And thank you, Lord, that because of that, Lord, we have not just any life, but a life that is more incredible and extraordinary than we could ever understand or imagine. And in response to that, God, you have told us, God, just as in the passage that we just read, to work out our salvation. 
God, to live out our faith every single day. And one of the ways that we can do that is to be able to hold out our faith, God. And I pray, Lord, that every single day, Lord, through our words, through our actions, God, through our entire life, that we would communicate who you are so powerfully to the people around us, to the world that is in such desperate need of you. May we communicate your hope, your peace, your love, your kindness, God, your goodness, Lord, to the people around us, and that these things can only be found in you. So we thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us and that in you that we can have courage. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.
Thank you. 
share a little bit of something. Um, So about, I would say about three or four weeks ago, um, my wife was complaining of like some stomach pain. So uh, like any thoughtful person, I was like, ah, you'll be all right. Uh, She said, wow, my stomach hurts really, really bad. And so I was like, oh man, why don't you lay down and get some rest? And then she started spiking a little bit of fever and yeah, just, just rest it out. We thought like some stomach virus was going on, whatever else. So we like quarantined her. Quarantined her. I have like a four month old at home. So we just locked her in the room and said, uh, you going to be all right? But anyways, um, as time went on, she, uh, we were actually here for weekend service and she gives me a call on the phone and says, Hey Jalen, uh, I really think I need to go to the hospital. So I said, all right, sure. So I called my mom and had my mom take her to the hospital while I finished service here. And right after that, we went over to Troy Beaumont. And uh, after a long night in the ER, they had found out that through a CT scan that her appendix had burst. And it had been burst, it had burst like three days prior. So by that time, like a serious infection had set up all through her abdomen and it was just a really scary time because the doctors at that time were saying, hey, well, you know, people don't really pull through this kind of stuff often. I got in my car on the way back home to be with my little girl. And if someone would have asked me, did I have faith in that moment? My honest answer would have been no. But then all of a sudden I turned on my radio and I was playing Spotify this song, Yes and Amen, came on. And the song says, all of God's promises are yes and amen. And one promise that I knew that he made was that he would never leave me or forsake me, that he would always be there for me. And I knew that that promise was set in stone so I could say amen to it. So I uh, had a little moment in my car where I just cried out to God. I said, God, I trust you, and I believe that with my life. A few days passed, and that Thursday, Kiana, my wife, made a speedy recovery and was out of the hospital by Saturday. So I say that all that to say that anyone who is going through anything, struggling with a health situation, or whatever it may be, just remember that God is always there and that all of God's promises are what? All of God's promises are? Say it one more time. All of God's promises are? All right, Aaron, go ahead and
tonight that we would remember the truths that we remember the promises that we sang about that God is unfailing that in him we can find hope that his love is reckless and when he enters into the picture everything changes and to all these promises what is it yes and amen exactly so as we close tonight can we give all of these guys a huge round applause thank you guys And so two things that I want just to quickly mention, that this coming weekend, this coming weekend, we're starting a brand new series called Unstoppable Force. We want to invite you to come back for that, and don't come alone, but bring somebody else, invite someone. And also our prayer team is going to be down at the front, so if you would like to receive prayer, if you would like to someone to pray for you, we'd love for you to come down. Thanks so much, everyone, for being here. Have a wonderful, wonderful night.